Church, will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts and minds of your faithful people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is so good to be with you. I tell you what, we're going to have African church today here. In Africa, when they do receptions and confirmations, they just fill the room up. And that's what we've got today. We've got a whole bunch of people to receive in as members of uh, Church of the Apostles here in, in Eastern Shore. We've got some youth to confirm. It's going to be a glorious day. It already has been a glorious weekend, along with our ordination of, of Gabe Holloway to the priesthood. Um, the Lord's just, we're just having a Holy Ghost party here, right? So we're going to continue this, this morning. I want, to, I want to think with you today, this is World, World Mission Sunday. I just want to begin by uh, reminding you of a, or sharing with you a story that I was reminded of, uh, actually out of the tragedy going on. You may be aware of the, the earthquake between Turkey and Syria that's caused so much devastation in that part of the world. But as I thought about the country of Turkey, I began to think about an experience I had back in 2010. A friend of mine, who's actually an Anglican priest by the name, his name is Brent McHugh. Uh, Brent was a Walgreens store planter, Okay. Uh, and then he met Christ. <laughs> and he met Christ in a powerful way through an alpha course in Jacksonville, Florida. And over the course of about 10 years, God began to call Brent away from Walgreens to the work of the church. And Brent eventually went to Bible college, and he discerned that he wanted to go to Turkey and work among Iranian refugees. Now, we say Iran, but Iranians say Iran, and if you want to reach people, it's good to speak the name in the way they can understand it. So Iranians, which is why I'm using that term. So I found myself in 2010 with a group of about eight from my congregation in Gainesville, and we were in a small room that was probably about a quarter of the size of this room, but as crowded as all of you are. And we had to keep our voices down because it's not illegal to worship the Christian God in Turkey, but it is illegal to proselytize. In other words, it's illegal to try to convert a Turkish person to Christianity. But even still, as Iranian refugees and as Americans, we were keeping it pretty quiet. We didn't have any loud praise and worship music. Let's put it that way, okay? And I sat in this room marveling at the faith of these Iranian-born Muslim background believers who were crying out to God just as I heard you crying out to Him. Songs of praise and thanksgiving for the glorious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Friends, we get to be a part of a global movement of Christianity all over the world. You may have been told that Christianity is dying, that they're, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, religion of the past and that other things are rising up in its place. But I'm here to tell you, there are more Christians living on the planet today than in all the history of the world. Over 2 billion Christians in the world. And the work among folks like my friend Brent, who, by the way, they promoted, they made him the international director for a mission agency called Christar. 
has told us that, that in fact, there are, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Muslim background believers all over the world. The largest church among Iranian Christians in the world is in Santa Cruz, California. But there are, there are churches of all sorts of Muslim background believers in places like the Netherlands and in Canada and in Australia and all over the Western Hemisphere. God is at work. Why was I in Turkey in 2010? Well, fundamentally, I was there because we serve a missionary God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but God himself was the first missionary. As a matter of fact, the missiologists, those who think about theology and mission, will say, missio dei, that it is the mission of God, that God, in fact, is a missionary God. God comes, remember Adam and Eve in the garden after they've sinned? What does God do? He comes to find them. And he calls out to to Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And ultimately, he sends his son Jesus to be his incarnate son of God, made flesh, that he might come and speak in words that we can understand, that we we would actually have one who would speak to us the very words of God. Jesus said, to see me is to see the face of God. If you know me, disciples, you know my Father. Jesus himself was an expression of the missionary heart of God. Well, this morning, I want to just look with you, think with you for a few minutes about that gospel passage that you heard Deacon Susan read a moment ago. It's, it's Jesus. He's among the crowd. He's, he's doing what he does. He's healing He is preaching, he is teaching, he's caring for the needs, he's feeding the 5,000, he's raising the dead, he's he's healing those who have been diseased and and, and infirm for years and years and years, and he gets to this place where he is just moving through the, the villages from place to place, and he begins to be moved with great compassion. And as he is moved with compassion, we're told in the scripture that he sees the people as harassed and helpless. And he comes and his heart is broken for them. And he turns to the disciples and he says, you guys pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray, in other words, to my Father in heaven. For the labors are few, but the harvest is plentiful. What I described in, in, in Turkey among Iranians is going all over the world. And there are opportunities to share Christ and to see people come into a living relationship with God for the very first time, regardless of where in the world they're born or regardless of what in the world they, where in the world they've been taught. But Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the laborers are few. Well, I want to think with you for a moment about that. We've, we've got receptions and confirmations, reaffirmations. We serve a missionary God who has called us to participate in his mission. Amen? He's called us to be a part of it. And what a tremendous, I mean, just that we get to be partnering with the God. I, I, I love Henry Blackaby wrote a book years and years ago, um, knowing uh, that it's, been, it's kind of gone around the world. But, but, but Blackaby said in this book, he said, find out where God's at work and join him there. 
And that's exactly what the Lord calls us to do. He calls us to find out where he's at work, whether it be Baldwin County or Daphne, Alabama, or where it, whether it be someplace else in the world, and join him in that work. The first thing Jesus says is to pray. To pray to the Lord of the harvest. Now, to pray, it can mean many things. A prayer is a, is a multifaceted thing. And, and yes, we are called to intercede, to say, Lord, will you intercede for those who are displaced or, or grieving lost loved ones in Turkey and Syria? But another aspect of prayer is that we would actually pray to understand the heart of God. Someone has famously said, I don't pray that I will change God. I pray that God will change me. And I believe when Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest, he is wanting them to press in, to be quiet before the Lord, and to hear what God's heart is. I've been reading a book by a Baptist pastor by the name of Ortland. It's called Lowly and Gently and Lowly. And, and in it, uh, the author describes the heart of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever really realized that there's not a whole lot of verses that tell you what Jesus' heart is like, but in Matthew 11, just a couple of chapters over, Jesus actually reveals his heart. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. The first thing when we begin to pray, we begin to really quiet ourselves before God in an intentional way, setting aside time, we, we find out that God's heart is for us, that he is lowly and gentle, that he's humble and merciful, that he loved us. And isn't that our testimony if we're here this morning and we know Christ, that, that Christ made it clear that he was pouring out his mercy upon us, that he was revealing himself to us. Romans says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that he, his heart is for us. And so if you're a believer this morning, if you, if you know Jesus is Lord, you know that, that he is, he is for you, but it's oftentimes helpful to be reminded of the fact that he's for us. He doesn't just look at us like, you know what, that Alex, he had such potential. Man, if he had just worked a little harder, he could have made something of himself, right? You know, it's not like, oh, you know, work harder, Alex. You know, no, he looks at us with love and compassion. Just like he looks at this crowd that he's moving among and ministering to. But the second thing, when we begin to pray, we begin to seek the face of God, to know his heart, is we begin to realize his heart for other people. This ability for Jesus to see the the harassedness and the helplessness of those around you. It may be that Jesus was quoting from Ezekiel chapter 34, which talks about shepherds of Israel, those who were to be the spiritual leaders, who were neglecting the sheep, who weren't taking care of them. I'm so grateful to the clergy of this parish because you have competent, good under-shepherds who are teaching you and equipping you. We added another one to your rank yesterday when we ordained gave to the priesthood. You've got capable leaders, but Jesus may have been referring back to Ezekiel 34 about the, about the false leaders, the under-shepherds who were not doing their job. Jesus saw them out in the midst, and he saw how, how they were just being harassed on every side. Oftentimes, it's easy to look at the culture, to become frustrated and angry, and just want to get away from it all. 
and to blame the very people that if we're really honest, most of them are as victims of the culture as anyone else. I mean, imagine for our young people to be growing up in a culture that says, you have to figure out your identity, you have to define yourself as a radical, autonomous individual, and then you have to share and teach the world what your identity is. Now, could anything be more exhausting than that, right? I mean, what a weight. How harassed. How helpless must it feel like to be a student going through the school systems or in college being told that there is no, there is no purpose, there's no creator, there's no, there's no one to define what it means to be a human being. You must do all that work on yourself. If there's anyone that needs the compassion, the mercy of God, spoken through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is those who are outside the church who are harassed and helpless. When Jesus calls us to pray, he calls us to have a heart, to know his heart, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates, to desire to see the, har- the harassed and the helpless reached. This morning, who, who doesn't have an experience of Church of the Apostles? Who is in your life that you know that's out there, harassed and helpless, thinking that they got to do it on their own, not knowing that there's a merciful God who has provided salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. To pray is to begin to get the heart of God for others. And thirdly, it's to begin to get a heart, the heart of God for His vision. Notice that in Isaiah 49, the first scripture was read today, that it talks about the servant who we know is Jesus. It's a prophetic word that Isaiah speaks to about Jesus, and it's, but the whole image, the whole purpose of the servant is to gather Israel and Jacob, to bring them together, just as all of you have been brought together in this parish, or you've been brought together to support your loved one who's being received or confirmed or reaffirming their faith in Jesus publicly. We're all being gathered together, but then, but then, Isaiah says prophetically, but it's too light a thing. It's too small a thing just to gather Israel. God is saying, I'm not a tribal God. I'm not just trying to reach one particular tribe and culture. In fact, I want to reach all tribes and cultures. So what does it say? It says, too light a thing just to be the the Savior of, of Israel. I will make you a light to the nations, that the ends of the earth might know my salvation. And when we get to the book of Revelation, we have these pictures that keep coming up in the prophetic words of John that are every tongue and tribe and nation represented. Do you know there are people in the world who within their culture, their, their native tongue, don't, have, don't know a Christian, don't have the Bible translated in their own native tongue, and don't have any place to go to worship, even if they wanted to. And yet, the heart of God is to see every tongue, tribe, and nation represented. This is the vision that we begin to get when we pray, see and know the heart of God. 
we get to participate in this work with our missionary God. But surely if Jesus is calling the disciples to pray, they have to be smart enough, we have to be smart enough, right, to understand that if, if, he, if we pray and really sense the heart of God, he's probably going to call us to do something about it, right? In chapter 10 of Matthew, we see that the, the, the disciples who are called in chapter 9 to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers, are now being sent out as laborers themselves. And God desires to send us out. To, to allow us to be those who are his spokesmen. And that can seem pretty scary, right? I know that everybody's worst nightmare is always to think that I'm going to end up in some remote village on some part of the planet without running water, you know, where I have to eat the same thing every day, right? That's like the worst case scenario. But the Lord is so gracious in his work. Let me tell you, the people that are called to the furthest parts of the world will tell you that they would rather be out there with the Lord than to be back here with all of our creature comforts. And in some ways, God is more real to them in those hardships than he was before they left. God longs for us to know his heart and to be willing to respond, to be his co-laborers. I realize this is a hard message to preach because there's just so much to say. I got to be honest with you. It's, the whole idea of World Mission Sunday is like, really? I got one, one shot to get all this in? So, but I, I'm just going to kind of, so I'm not going to hit it all. But, but I do want you to hear the third piece, which is from the Acts passage that we read. Because the Lord doesn't just send us out there on our own. The disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem to receive an empowerment. You will be witnesses. You know, wait in Jerusalem. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are empowered. This morning, I'll lay hands on all of these who are coming, whether it's confirmation or reception or reaffirmation. All of these folks will have my hands laid upon them, and I will pray intentionally that the Holy Spirit will empower them. And I have no idea what the Lord will do in that moment. But we believe that the Lord will empower them for work, for the work of ministry. That wherever he sends them, whether it's Baldwin County, the state of Alabama, the Southeast, the United States, or the end of the earth, that they will go forward empowered. And I, I just remind you of something that was said to me many, many years ago. The safest place to be is in the will of God. The safest place to be is in the will of God. I'd rather go to a dangerous place like Turkey and worship with the Iranians than to stay home and be disobedient to the God that created me and redeemed my life. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. And we're told in John chapter 20 that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Friends, I, I love serving this missionary God. He is exciting to be with. I think sometimes when you hear the word witness, you think of like, you know, in a court of law, like I was sitting uh, innocently in my house and I saw a crime perpetrated across the street and I'm here to report the things that I safely saw from a distance uh, from my objective position. Because that's American law, right? You know, objective witnesses. 
when Jesus talks about us being witnesses, he's talking about, well, he's talking about something like when I saw my children be born. All of my children were born C-section. God bless my wife who did it three times after she experienced the pain the first time. That had been it for me. That had been one child, but she did it three times. I'm so thankful. But I was right there as my three children were brought into the world. When Jesus says that we get to be witnesses, he means, we meet, he means right up in the action. Let me tell you, there is nothing more exciting in life than to being at a summer camp on the last night when kids get up and share what Christ has done in their life this week. And the kid that you thought was not listening all week is the first kid to step up and get to the microphone. There's nothing like meeting a kid as a young adult who tells you about their experience in a children's ministry years and years ago and how God has used the lessons and what, how he spoke to them as a child and where that has taken them as an adult. Or to walk with a young adult who may look very different from you and on the outside may, you may think there's no way this person's a Christian and then they open their mouth and they begin to share about their hope in Christ. There is no greater place to be than in the center of the will of God. And Jesus reveals his will. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. For the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. This morning, who is not here that needs the love of Christ? And how might God equip you and me to take that message to them? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.